Welcome to Harnessing Your Wealth with Billy Peterson. As the founder and CEO of Peterson Wealth Services and a former jockey, Billy knows what it takes to successfully make it across the finish line. In this podcast, Billy and his team will help equine enthusiasts, business owners, and retirees identify their goals so they can improve their finances and achieve the future they desire. Saddle up and get ready to gain insight and strategies on how you can harness your wealth. Well, hello there and welcome to Harnessing Your Wealth. I'm your host, Billy Peterson. Today, I have an exciting guest and a show for you today that I think is going to be very informative. So welcome, Brian Van Camp. Brian is the managing partner of Linked Accounting. And today we're going to be talking and diving into the world of business ownership and the, the questions a lot of business owners have around starting a business, the type of entity or structure formation that they maybe should consider. And then ultimately, the final decision in a business ownership is possibly selling the business. And so Brian has a lot of inf- information he's going to help us understand and wade through. Brian, why don't you just start telling us uh, a little bit about you, your background, and uh, the type of clients that you work with? Yeah, I appreciate that, Billy. Uh, so we're a CPA firm. We're headquartered in Kaysville, Utah. We've also got an office in Honolulu. Uh, our partners are former commercial bankers, which is kind of a unique uh, mix for accounting firms out there. I used to run the commercial banking department for Key Bank for the state of Utah. And in that space, we did a ton of transaction work, buying and selling, a lot of financing uh, work for business owners. Um, and, and I would say when we, when we think about the clients that tend to be a really good fit for us or that we work with frequently are usually businesses who are uh, facing high tax, uh, who are facing t- high uh, tax exposures who have complicated entity structures with lots of LLCs and S corps and things of that nature. Uh, usually, these are individuals who are fairly active in real estate uh, and are frequently applying for commercial credit. Those are kind of the, I, I guess, the the your garden variety uh, clients that typically fill up our portfolio. Gotcha. Well, that sounds uh, like you have a wide gamut of clients, and we're also looking to understand a little bit from the business owner standpoint. You know, I was looking for some statistics the other day and realized that 99.9% of businesses in the United States are considered small business. And of course, small business is defined by a a business with 500 or fewer employees here. It's different across the world because in Europe, it's 50 or fewer. And in Australia, it's 15 or fewer, Hmm. but it's, it's really the, the biggest source of employment in our country. I mean, over, over half of the jobs are created by small business and small business owners. Yet, interestingly, 80% of small businesses only have one have one employee, basically the founder. So when we're talking about entities, though, and uh, for a business that wants to get started, a person that has an idea or a concept starting out a business, what type of formation entities do you really see and what are the pros and cons? Yeah, you know, it's a good question, Billy. I, I think really most commonly it boils down to LLCs or S-Corps. That's typically the decision that most business owners are making. Uh, if I was to kind of group them into kind of more generic categories, realizing, of course, that when it gets into the specific entity for a business owner, a lot of other factors come into play. But generically speaking, if you're dealing with real estate, uh, holding companies, rental properties, things like that, nine times out of 10, you're probably going to be an LLC that is taxed as, a, as an LLC. If you're an organization that operates actively in a business that sells a service, sells a product, manufactures something, you're typically going to be taxed 
as an S-Corp. And you'll notice, Billy, that I kind of distinguish the taxation from how the entity is structured. So I do find that a lot of businesses prefer to be structured as an LLC. But really, when the rubber meets the road, what people really care most about is how am I being taxed? And in that example, you're being taxed. You can choose to be taxed as an S-Corp even if your entity happens to be an LLC. And I would kind of put it into those two uh, primary buckets. Real estate tends to be LLC. Operating entities tend to be S-Corps. I see. Yeah. And the biggest grow, the largest growing industry, it looks like in the United States, seems to be the services type business. Tell me a little bit about, from a business owner standpoint, Brian, what do you recommend if someone is is a client of yours and they're thinking about selling a business or they have an offer or, hey, they're just getting to the point in time in their life where they might want to retire, transition, sell it outright. What do you typically recommend someone in that in that situation? That's a, that's a great question. And I think that I would always recommend that if you're if you're considering it, we need to start with three to five years of, of clean financials with clear evidence of owner addbacks. Because Billy, at the end of the day, when someone's selling their business, they're selling the future cash flows or the value that their business is able to create. We've got to be able to go to a buyer and be able to easily demonstrate the types of cash flows this organization can produce. And usually for small business owners, uh, we oftentimes find that it's actual profits that come from selling a product, but there's usually some mix of business and personal expenses that might be discretionary in there too. These are what we usually call addbacks, right? And we're trying to add back things that an owner might spend in order to be able to show the true discretionary cash flows of a business. That would be where you need to start. And to really get there, I would recommend that you uh, first work with uh, and, and get your team of, of transaction advisors uh, put together to help you go through that process. Your transaction advisors will help you assemble that data and put together a package that'll be uh, informative to a potential buyer. I, I truly think that, and I think this is important to note, that when I think about transaction advisors, I'm not just talking about an attorney or a CPA or a business broker. I'm talking about people who have actually been through a number of transactions of helping businesses buy and sell in the past. That isn't necessarily just your garden variety CPA or attorney. Um, but I also want to point out that just because you're a business advisor doesn't mean you're a really good tax accountant. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I, I think it's important to have a good team of people come together. Those would be the first two things I would do if I'm looking at buying or sorry, if I'm looking at selling my business sometime in the next uh, few years or so. Okay. So starting early, don't want to just yeah. decide to sell it and then next week think you're going to be ready to go. And, and, and to be honest with you, Billy, I mean, I, I've run into clients who that is just what it is. A, a client comes to us and says, I wasn't expecting it. I have an offer. I, I really don't think I can refuse. What do I do? Hmm. Before you sign anything, get, get your team of advisors put into place because this is going to create a number of decisions that have to be made, even if it is something you can't adequately prepare for. So either way, get the team in place before you sign stuff. You said a team a team consists of probably a business valuation person, a tax person, and a, an attorney. Simple yeah, I would generally say th those three, but then on the back end, you need to make, I mean, you have to be mindful of what are you doing with these funds and how are you now going to live off those funds? And that's where guys like you come in. We've got to have that, that individual be part of the team too. Right. And, and I was speaking to you a little bit earlier talking about the number of transactions. So in my career, I've never seen so many business sales. So a lot of our clients last year had opportunities to sell their businesses. And with the amount of money out in the economy, it just seems to be more and more folks looking to consolidate businesses. So the 
the bigger companies looking to acquire. And there are a lot of folks who are thinking about that had offers on the table and were questioning and bringing th that information to us. I'm sure you had a lot of those questions in your firm last year. So just seems to be kind of front and center. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show today, because I think this is becoming a bigger and bigger topic for people. Um, you know, there's 31 and a half million small businesses out there in the country. And so a lot of folks are going to be facing these questions as they go forward. What type of sales? Let's talk a little bit about that. You're an expert in the tax structure and, and I know enough just to get myself in trouble when I'm dealing with this stuff, but you're an expert in it. What kind of sales are there and the structure of the sales and tell us the pros and cons of each, if you will. Yeah, you bet. So, so there really are two primary ones. I'm going to add a third brief one in because it could be a, a factor for some people that are listening. Uh, primarily, you're either going to sell the stock of the company or the membership interest of the LLC. You're selling the actual, you know, the, the whole ball and chain of everything that comes with it. That's one option. Or you're generally selling specific or all of the assets inside the company itself. Let's talk briefly about stock sales for a minute. In this example, the buyer is acquiring everything. They're getting the EIN number. They're getting the potential liability exposure from employment lawsuits. They're getting every asset and liability that is on that balance sheet, and they're getting the bank accounts too. They're pulling everything in. And I would say the main things that typically uh, are, are a factor to consider when you're doing a stock transaction is you have to be mindful of what they call this working, this working capital adjustment. Uh, it's, it's considering how much of your receivables that you've previously earned, how much of these payables that you still owe to other vendors, what's the net number that you get to walk away with in addition to the sale price as surplus cash flows that the business has generated. A lot of negotiations go into that. A lot of formulas and calculations are flying around in that situation and be mindful of that. The second scenario would be an asset transaction. So an asset transaction is where you're selling the assets of the company. And it's typically every asset that exists, uh, but oftentimes you might find something's being excluded. Commonly, you might say, well, I'm not going to sell my receivables. I've already earned those dollars. Those are my dollars. And I'm going to keep those and I'm not going to sell those things. But you typically will see things that are intangible get included, right? You're going to have customer lists. You're going to have the name of the company. Uh, you're going to have maybe intellectual property or patents, things that are inside the company that still constitute an asset, uh, but yet it's not maybe monetary that you and I might think of initially. But all of that boils down into you know an asset transaction. In that scenario, you keep your EIN number. You're keeping, if you will, all of the tax history that went with that company. You're not selling those things. And if you were to look at those two main transactions and kind of say what's best, usually, and I will say oftentimes these things work in opposition for a buyer and seller. Typically, you're going to find that a buyer uh, would prefer to buy assets. Uh, typically, you'll find that a seller would prefer to sell stock. And that's purely from a tax standpoint. Um, but, but I oftentimes will find, and, and you can get a bit of a mix here too, though, where you can sell the stock, but have the IRS think and treat it as though it's an asset transaction. And in situations like that, where you have a lot of, say, customer agreements and contracts that are already in place, it's frankly a lot more headache for a buyer to have to try to figure out how to rework those contracts into a new business name. And in those situations, nine times out of 10, they really just want to buy the stock. Uh, but even if it's from a, you know, from a tax standpoint, it's better for them. They can tell the IRS, look, I want to buy the stock, but for all intents and purposes, I want to treat this thing like it's an asset sale. Mm -hmm. um, 
Third, and I don't think it's a very frequent issue here, but you you can also do a licensing sale, right? So this is where you have certain types of intellectual property, a patent, something inside your business that has value, and you just want to sell the the intellectual property for someone to use the name, image, and likeness, if you will, of that particular intangible and and to be able to sell it on their own. So that's another scenario that can come up, but certainly not very frequently. I see. So really the big part of the go- negotiation will will be centered around the tax treatment. Uh, one wants one thing, the other wants something else. Yep. But hopefully you can come up with something that uh, is agreeable in the structure. I'm sure that the stock sale uh, fashion would be attractive for the, I guess, the seller, right? Because of the capital gain treatment. Yeah, effectively, like you know, because a lot of times you have other vehicles and machines that have already been depreciated. If you can sell the whole thing as part of stock, you're getting away with a much better tax situation because it's all long-term capital gains. Frankly, none of it hits you as ordinary income. It's a win-win for you. Um, but inversely, when someone buys it, you know, buyers oftentimes are considering the tax implications of their purchase and they want benefits. And benefits have to be depreciated, generally speaking. So if you're buying the stock, you've got nothing to depreciate and, and that oftentimes hurts a buyer. Yeah, good. That's a great way to summarize it. You're buying some assets, you can depreciate some things mm-hmm. usually right off the bat. So it's all a tax consequence and big part of these negotiations. So what do you? how do you help people understand what their business is worth? Brian, is, is that just an outside expert or are there other tools that you can bring to the table? That's a great question. I mean, so really, I always like to compare this to buying and selling a home and how different it is to buy and sell a business. So if you want to go buy a home, you can look online right now and find a four bedroom, three bath home for 3000 square feet. And you can find 27 of them that have been sold in the last six months. And you can easily start to kind of dive into what is a home of your likeness really worth in the marketplace. The reality is there's not a business like yours out there. And to try to find comparables is far more challenging. And that's where professionals that have had experience, where they've gone through transactions like yours, can bring a lot of value to the table for you. And it really boils down to two things. You've got to consider the future cash flows of your business, because that's really what someone's buying is they're buying tomorrow's cash flows and risk. Everyone buying your business has to be thinking about what kind of risk can be here that would make the cash flows that I'm seeing yesterday, because I'm analyzing yesterday's historic cash flows, maybe that doesn't look like yesterday by the time tomorrow arrives. And you're really trying to drive into uh, risk versus the reward, which is your cash flows. And, and so a good professional, which would typically be you know business valuation experts, um, I think uh, accountants, CPAs that have a lot of transaction work under their belts would be able to give you some really good guidance about what your business is worth based upon the cash flows and the risks associated with them. Excuse me, we're almost in the home stretch for this episode. But before we can cross the finish line, I just wanted you to know that you can contact Billy and his team at www.petersonws.com or by visiting the show notes. Now, back to harnessing your wealth. So I was looking at risk when you talk about risk a little bit. Yeah. And I was interested to hear that 20% of all small businesses fail in 12 months, within the first 12 months of existence. Yeah. And then even worse, 50% of businesses fail within five years of existence. And I guess from my standpoint, with a financial background and considering 
what business owners need, they fail to consider the financial or the capital requirements that's, that is going to be required, I guess, to run their business and keep it, keep it functioning. And of course, then when you're getting to an environment like we're in now, kind of compounds the effect when you're trying to borrow. So this is an environment where it could be a little bit scary, if you will, for the small business that has a little more difficulty obtaining capital financing. How are you going to borrow? Do they need to downsize? They might not have been through a recession before. So it's walking that line and knowing, do you stay? Do you go? Do you borrow? Do you downsize? A lot of big businesses are laying off people right now. Yeah. We're seeing that going forward. Yeah, it's very true, Billy. And, and I think it's, it's, it's worth noting that uh, most businesses that fail, most of them do not fail because of a lack of revenue. Most of them fail because of a lack of managing cash flows effectively. It really boils down to, are you managing that effectively? And if you think about what a potential buyer is going to be buying, it's the cash flows. We've got to validate that these cash flows are here to stay for the long haul. And if you've got a business that's relatively young, hasn't been through a full economic cycle, that's really scary for a potential buyer because they've not really watched that business go through the ups and downs of a recession versus a, you know, a, a significant economic expansion. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, I, I think one of the other things to be, be, to be thinking about if, if we've got listeners who are considering selling I would really encourage a, a, a seller to walk into that initial meeting with their team of advisors, thinking about if I was buying this business, what would be the risks that I would be concerned about? Every business has risks. It's not a, it's not a bad thing to admit that every business has risks. Um, and I think it's really telling if you can walk into some of those initial meetings, being mindful of the types of risks that your business has. For instance, maybe you have really large client concentrations. Maybe, you know, 50% of your revenue comes from one or two primary clients. What if one of them were to go away? What would your business really look like? And what keeps those clients here? That's one of the big questions that is always asked in every transaction is they're always looking for the sources of the revenue and what are the odds or the probability, the risks of those clients leaving. And I do think that business owners uh, don't have a very um, exercised mental muscle of identifying their own risks. Uh, I find that a lot of them are just like, no, it's a solid business. Everybody should want this. Yeah. Um, so I, I, go, go into it with eyes wide open. It really shows a good business maturity, I think, and it helps the conversations a lot. Yeah. Being able to see what potential buyer might see, not not just what you think. And because I, I think we all as business owners, you're a business owner, I'm a business yeah. owner, we sometimes get blinders on. I think it's good to open up, go to some conferences, uh, obviously see what's going on in the world and not only the big picture, but, you know, focusing on your industry and what needs to be done, what improvements are out there to, to be considering. If you're not improving or staying ahead, I think you're falling behind. And of course, that's going to impact potential revenue uh, and multiples of your business if you ever wanted to sell them. Some of our clients just want to transition to the next generation. And that's a whole another discussion. We may have you back to talk a little bit about that because sure. that's a that's one that I think needs to be walked through with a fine line. And, you know, we've heard all that all heard the saying shirt sleeves is shirt sleeves in three generations. And, and I think that's because that the next generation might not understand the requirement of hard work and dedication and what it took to build a business, what it took to generate that wealth. Small business owners represent the lion's share of the millionaires in this country 
And it's, it's interesting to note that most of the wealth across this country didn't come from inheritance or from a lucky lottery uh, draw. It came from hard work. And I think that's why I'm, for one, I am so interested in working with small business owners. They're just, for the most part, good people. And they understand what is required to generate something, to build something and to grow it. So they like the teamwork approach. So I, I think we wanted to maybe end with the last question of in your experience, have you seen any type of transactions that have worked successfully and maybe those that turned out bad in a business sale? That's a great question, honestly, Billy. And, and I think it really boils down to um, uh, unmet expectations, right? I think every good transaction is a transaction where buyers and sellers both feel like they got what they wanted, what they expected, and it was a respectful uh, interchange. Uh, the ones that don't work out really well are typically unmet expectations. I thought I would get more. I didn't think they would be uh, so picky. I didn't think that they would be uh, you know, so difficult to work with. Um, and, and I think a lot about... Uh, you know, the, the bludgeoning industry of, of marriage counseling, you know, marriage counseling exists because people have unmet expectations in their relationships. Uh, business transactions are honestly no different. Um, and, and so I, I would honestly take it back to the team of people that buyers and sellers are having work with them through the negotiation, through the process. I think it can make a significant difference in the expectations we're all setting up in making sure it becomes a positive experience on the way through. Uh, you know, I, I've still worked, I, I've worked with a, a transaction, it was a very large transaction, about 65 million um, that closed last summer. And in that transaction, the father is still not talking to one of the sons that was involved in it. Mm. And and honestly, you know, these are my friends. I, I enjoy the client relationships I have, and I'm still trying to work with these guys to help them get together for, thank, for Thanksgiving dinner next year. Um, <laughs> but it boils down to unmet expectations. Uh, as hard as we tried to make it work, uh, people still got their feelings hurt in the process. Um, so uh, honestly, I, I think truly to the answer to that question, it would be get good advisors who can try to help you through the process. Um, it makes all the difference in the world. Um, in my communicate opinion. upfront, open-ended yeah. communication. Yeah. Kind of I mean, I, you know, for, like, for instance, I, I, I closed on a, a, a book of business that I bought out in Hawaii on January 1st of this year. And I think I will continue to be good friends with the seller uh, for many years to come. I, I think both of us walked into it with reasonable expectations. We had good knowledge about what uh, a business like that might sell for in our marketplace. And we agreed to work together to make sure that the clients were happy with the transition. And we, we partnered through the process and made sure our structure provided him some benefit and some upside for clients sticking around. And I wasn't ignorant to the fact that I'm going to face some level of risk in the transaction too. Um, and I think it worked out well, you know, and so, uh, it, but, but, but also boiled down to two guys who have been through this process before many times and, and we had good expectations going into it. Good. That's a great way to summarize it. So I appreciate your time today, Brian, tell our listeners how they might get a hold of you if they had some questions to follow up with. Yeah, you bet. I mean, so if, if you go to linkedaccounting.com, uh, uh, we've got a lot of content on there as well. We've done a lot of videos, a lot of tax planning strategies. You can click on the planning center at linkedaccounting.com and you'll get a whole slew of uh, video content about different tax ideas that we work with. And of course, you'll find uh, email addresses and, and phone numbers right there on the website on the uh, meet the team uh, section. So any questions, uh, yeah, reach out. 
Perfect. I know I can vouch for Brian, his team. They do a great job. We've worked with them before and we continue to work with them as uh, things come up. So I wanted to also thank you for listening to reach out to us here at Peterson Wealth Services. You can just call us direct 801-475-4002 or visit our website, petersonws.com. You'll also see a lot of content out there on social media. So until next time, we're going to have another great speaker lined up for the next episode. Thank you for listening. Y'all have a great day out there. Thank you for listening to Harnessing Your Wealth with Billy Peterson. Before we declare the race official, please click the follow button so you can be notified when new episodes become available. For more information about today's show, please check out the show notes. Visit our website at www.petersonws.com or give us a call at 801-475-4002. Once again, thank you for listening. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Peterson Wealth Services. The content has been made available for information and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.